today's message is going to be titled something that uh, it almost sounds like we're going to be doing like school today, almost. But it's, it's not meant to be. But I will say, this is one thing I can honestly say for the first time. If you ever want to take notes today, today's a good note-taking day. If you know me, whenever I stand up here and speak, I don't usually give messages that you can really take notes on. You just kind of maybe jot down one-liners here and there, maybe. You know, but I, I don't. And so I'm trying to be better structured. But today I want to talk about three steps that we need to take for a better walk in 2022. Because that, and if you've been coming to the church here the last couple months, you've been seeing how the Lord's really been moving. And how, and, 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 and I think I was talking to Mr. David and Miss Marsha about this was that, and it's, it's not a movement like, you know, somebody, when somebody says the Spirit's moving, they're like, oh, that church is crazy over there. They're probably screaming and shouting. You know, that's the first thing people think of. But that's not how this move has been. And I'm thankful for that because the Lord has to humble us sometimes and make us realize, look, when I show up, it's not always about screaming and shouting and running. Now, when it comes to it, when the Holy Spirit falls and He wants to do that, He can do that if He wants. But He's showing that right now what's happening is heart changes. People that are getting hungry for more of God, and it's not just happening here, it's happening in America right now. And I praise God for that. But as I was sitting down, I was actually trying to go a different route with this message. This came about a week ago. And how many of you ever tried to do something outside of God's will like Jonah, where like, you know, the Lord's saying, do this? And the whole time when you go, I'll put it to you like this, prime example, my daughter has a good example of this. When the carnival came to town and they had that maze, my daughter would get so excited seeing us and she'd take off running, bam, face plant the little mirror there. And it's like, baby, it's a maze. You can't just, it not all those don't open. You got to kind of weave your way through. And she'd go to the next one, see us get excited, bam, hit it again. I'm like, baby, follow the course. Quit. Quit trying to get to mom and daddy. We'll be here at the end, but follow the course, you know. God has a calling for, for you guys is what I'm trying to say this morning. Stay on the course. Quit trying to get out of his will. Quit trying to get over here and over there and yonder. Stay on course where he has us. But I want to talk about three steps for a better walk in 2022. And number one is simply give God your time. It's no doubt that we're living in a day and age right now that is driven on caffeine and social media and everything else you can think of. Everybody is going, going, going right now. That's the way we are in the world. And we just are fast-paced 24-7, and we don't have time for anything is the way we act. But I'm here to tell you, if we don't slow down when it comes to God and make time for Him, we're going to miss Him. This is pivotal right here. If there is one point that I really, Lord, I want you to get all of them, but if there's one that's a great starting point, it's right here. You have got, and I have got to start giving God our time. We've taken that away from Him, and now whenever we go to give it to Him, it's something foreign to us. We don't understand it. Really, we don't like to do it anymore. We really live in a world where we try to say, well, I really don't have time for God. And the fact of the matter is this. And look, everything I'm saying, I'm saying in complete and total love. But we're going we're gonna to preach the Word of God truthfully here at this church. It's not that you don't have the time. It's not that I don't have the time. It's that we've deemed time with God unworthy of our time. It's that we've gotten to a point in our life where really and truthfully we like the things we're doing so much that we really don't want to put Him in our because it takes us away from things. And it's even down to the smallest things, really. We'll get caught up on games or social media, things like that, or even like me. My wife asked me last night, she was like, how late did you stay up? I said, I stayed up till 1 watching YouTube. 
little stuff like that. Even though I was watching Christian videos, we're like, oh, well, I was watching Christian videos, and I was. I was watching Ray Comfort minister to men and women. But here's the thing. That does not replace your alone time with God. Just because you talked about God with somebody, a co-worker that day, somebody on the street, that does not excuse you from getting alone and having time with God. And we have gotten away from that. We say, well, we're too busy. You're not. The fact of the matter is we're not. I love, Marty one time talked, he talked about how if you ever check your screen time on your phone, it'll reveal to you what you spend your time on. And I'll give you a challenge right here. I'm not telling you to get rid of all your social media pages unless it's TikTok. If you know my opinion on TikTok, I just think TikTok is not good at all. But that's just, that's, that's straight from first Tyler 1-1, okay? Get off TikTok. Maybe it's out of the book of first opinion. I don't know. But, <laughs> but here, do try this. Take all your social media, take all of that off for just one week and leave just the Bible app on there. And when you get ready to open up social media, go to your Bible app. When you get ready to go to the bathroom, get on the Bible app. You want to talk about increasing your, your spirituality, increasing your biblical knowledge? Do that. And it's practical. It's so simple. But it, has, it pays dividends. Again, I'm not telling you that all social media is bad. I'm not sitting here saying if you're on social media, I'm not Bobby Boucher's mama up here telling you it's of the devil, okay? But I am telling you this, though. When it takes up our time, it has become the devil in our life. When it takes up our time away from God. Whatever it is, whether it's something we think it's something good, we say, well, you know, I'm just bonding with my kids. You know, I'm getting them to sports. I'm taking them hunting. I'm taking them doing this. When those things get ahead of God, you are brewing up trouble. Those things are good. It's good that we spend time with our children. Tyler Finley is, will never tell you not to spend time with your kids. I'll probably encourage more people to spend more time with their kids. But that does not excuse you sitting down and reading the Word of God with your kids. Because there is, look, understand my heart when I say this. You can get, your kid can have all the trophies under the sun. He can have everything mounted on the wall that he's ever killed. But if his name's not written down in the book of life, you've, you've, I'm, I'm just, I'm loving you. You failed. I failed. If my child grows up and she says, I did, I have all these achievements, all these things. I got scholarships to go to the University of Arkansas and do all these things, and I'm a doctor, and yet she misses the boat on eternity. I have failed her as a parent. Again, I'm saying all of this in love. And here's the thing some of you might be like me, where you're sitting there going, Man, but what about all the lost time? Start today. Remember what I told you a second ago that your prayers are still being heard. God is still a God of miracle. He can of miracles, and He can still work things in, in your children's life, no matter how old or how young they are. But we have got to start with ourselves giving God back our time. Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse fifteen. I'll give you guys a little bit of time to get there. I should have told y'all where I was going to be. For those of you who who were following along, whether on your phones or in your Bible, the next scripture is going to be in Revelation chapter two. Again, I want to say that I'm not telling you that you can't do a lot of good things with your family and your friends. But I am telling you, never, ever for one second let that take the place of God in your kids and in your life. It's not worth it. Because there is one reality that is happening. We will all stand before Him. Whether we want to or not, we will. And we must live with that reality in mind. 
Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, which means, and I'm reading out of the New King James, uh, circumspectly means wisely, carefully uh, viewing everything that, that comes your way, making sure if that's something you should or shouldn't do, you're really examining it. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And there Paul is telling you pretty much in layman's terms, seize the day while it is on you. Because when it's gone, it's gone. Seize the opportunities to talk to your kids, to talk to your neighbor, to even fill yourself with God. Because when that moment's gone, it's gone. That's why the Bible says, seek the Lord when? While He may be found. Because there are moments where God just opens up the heavens more than normal. And it's that time that you need to be praying. It's that time that you need to be seeking. I feel like we're in that time right now. We are in a time where it is open and people are coming in and people are receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're receiving the Holy Spirit into their lives right now. And I don't want anybody in here, myself included, to miss this. So please, again, this is the last time I'm going to apologize because I don't want it to be taking up too much time. But all of this is for your edification and for your betterment because I do not ever. I look forward to the day that I'm sitting on the banks of a river in heaven with my family and with my church family saying this is the moment we've all been waiting for. We've talked about this. We've dreamt about it. And we're finally here. I cannot wait for that day and I don't want to see anybody miss it. But we need to start giving God back our time. For those of you who maybe read the second part of that verse, understand what the will of the Lord is. Here's the will of the Lord for you, that you would know, repent and believe. That you would come to know Him and you would know Him more. Period. Don't get, and this is for those of you who are experienced in the faith, don't get so caught up looking for your specific call, because we do that in the church. We're like, well, what are you called to do? What are you called to be? Don't get so caught up looking for your specific call that you miss the best call, which is to be a Christian and to know Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate. Please do not get caught up thinking, well, am I called to be a preacher? Am I called to be a deacon? Am I called to be a singer? You're called to be a Christian. First and foremost, don't miss the boat on that. I'm not saying don't look for that stuff, but get that part right first. Number two, and this comes with giving God our time, we have got to give back our affections to God. If there is one thing that we've lost in society today, it's that we've lost our true and undefiled love and dedication for Christ and what He has done for us. We have become a lot of times like the children of Israel when you read the Old Testament. They go through a battle, God delivers them, God does something, and what do they do? They forget about it. They forget about it. Why do you think God always made them put up monuments? You ever thought about that? Every time they did something, God would say, hey, put up 12 stones right here. Every time they just, all right, put a marker right here. Put a marker right here. It wasn't just because God was trying to be, you know, be like hard on them and say, well, just do it because I told you to. He was doing it so that when they went through something, they would be able to look back and say, well, God delivered us right there. And he delivered us right there. What makes me think he can't deliver me right here? There was a reason behind it, and the Bible even says that God made them do these things so that when they brought their kids by and their kids said, what are those for, Dad? The dad would be able to explain to them that was the day the Lord split the Red Sea and walked us through without none of us being killed. The Lord did this. 
we get like that too in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see a church. I'm going to start in verse 1. I don't know if I gave you guys uh, 1 through 4. Guys, I think I just used 4. To the, I'm going to start in verse 1, and then I'm going to get to verse 4. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. That I don't know if there's a worse <laughs> rebuke than that. Because it started out with all the good, right? How many of you have ever been in trouble with your parents? And are like, look, son, you did really good today. You passed all your tests, you did this, you did that, but you didn't clean your room. You know, and you almost want to go, well, then why'd you compliment me? Why'd you even tell me all the good I did if you were just going to follow up and tell me something bad I did? But this is an ultimate bad here. This is a serious. This goes to show you that, honestly, their works were dead. Their works were not full of life because if it's not done in love and love for Christ, you're doing your works for nothing. Because the Bible talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that if I do all these things but I have not love, it profits me nothing. And these people left their first love. They got in the routine of church. They got in the routine of whatever of the day, and they left their true love. In fact, and I guarantee you, it started when they quit giving God their time. When they maybe got too consumed with the things at their church that they never went home and gave, had church at their own house. I guarantee you, you can link it with their time. In the book of Matthew, it tells us that whatever, wherever our heart is, there our treasure will be also. He talks about this in Matthew, telling us that, look, this was Jesus talking to me. He says, look, you can't, you can't be divided. You just can't because you're always going to give more time to this than that. And eventually this is going to win out even more. Don't you understand? It's, it's like the Scripture says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's not, look, it is not that God is just, because here's the thing, we have this mentality that God just puts restrictions on us just because He can. But He puts restrictions on us for our good. Because He knows, if you, if I go play with the stick in the fire, eventually I'm going to get my hand in the fire. And eventually I'm going to fall my whole self into the fire and end up burned. He knows. That's why He always told the children of Israel, don't take nothing. If you go into a, if you go in there, unless I tell you to, because there was a few times he told them they could, but when he, they'd go in there, he'd say, don't leave nothing. There was a few times he did that. Because he knew ultimately when they went in there and they tried to take everything with them, that they would take it back home and they would start worshiping that and they would start falling more in love with the things of the world. They would start falling in love with think, people in their life more than they were God. Where you're affections are there or your treasure is there your heart is also then i give you guys matthew 22 and matthew 22 verse 37 it says jesus said to them you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and great commandment we must give god back our affections church we must. We must give Him back our affections. 
we're not serving some trivial, some childlike God here. We are serving the literal almighty God. We got to quit. And I believe this is just kind of a side. I believe one of the reasons why we have a problem giving God our affections is because we really don't view him as the God that he is. We almost view God as a little small God now. And we talk about him like that. You know, you know, one of the things I really can't stand, this is just Tyler talking to you here. One thing I can't stand is for someone to say, I pray to the man upstairs or say the big man. Because to me, and this is just me, because when I hear that, it makes me feel like they really don't have a lot of reverence for him. And they treat him as that. He's just the man upstairs rather than he is the almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that he weighs the mountains on a scale and he scooped out the waters and the hollow of his hands. He spoke in existence, came. But we limit him to just the man upstairs. He's so much more than the man upstairs, church. He is so much more than the man upstairs. You know, a lot of times we have a hard time. You know what, I'll get to that later. I feel like the Lord wants me to wait on that. So in layman's terms, whether it be jobs, goals, or activities, we will give more time to things we care about the most. And if we care about Christ above all these things, we will begin to give Him more time. And look, and I'm going to speak to you as honest as I can here. I know it's hard at first. It's not easy to go in there and just start praying in an empty room. I agree with you there. But then there are moments where God just comes in and He rests on you and you know He is. You feel it in your heart. You feel it in your spirit. He comes in and He rests on you and that happens more frequent and it makes it harder and harder to get away from. I'll never forget we had a man back here at the back one time in a prayer service. He had never, he, he had never been in church a day in his life and he was standing there and I'll never forget I was standing next to Marty and I said, oh my God, man, it just the power of God just came in. It, like it just whooshed in here. Just like a wind. And I said, golly, did you feel that? Marty said, yeah. And about that time, this guy's a new convert, and he comes over to us. He says, guys, I think I felt the Holy Spirit for the first time. And we, uh, me and Marty just looking dead in the face. He said, it, it, it came just that quick, and it went, and now I feel like a sad puppy looking for it again. I want it back. I, I, I got to have it. I want it back right now. And look, that, that was a, somebody who has never been church today in their life. Except for coming here after they got saved. They have never been to another church hardly. And then in the, when that moment happened, he was going, i, I got to have more of this. What I'm saying is, it gets better. It gets increasingly and increasingly better. And you get to a point to where it's harder to miss church, to miss prayer, to miss your Bible time, than it is anything else. You know, when people talk to me now, and they say, I just don't have time for church. I was telling Carl uh, back in the fellowship hall, I said, that, I don't understand that anymore. I used to, back when I didn't give God my time, back when I was kind of like, ah, it is what it is, you know. But now that I'm saved, now that I'm on this side, now that I know how much I need God, and it, it's harder for me to miss church. That's not a brag on Tyler. I'm just telling you, it gets better. Keep putting hand to plow. Keep seeking. The Bible says you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Keep putting your hand on the plow. Lastly, some of y'all are looking at your watches. You're like, oh my God, it's 1117. He just said lastly. <laughs> John McNamara was back at the back, and he said, you got one hour. I said, I got three, baby. <laughs> he said, I'll lock the doors. I said, no, they'll call us a cult. Don't do that. They'll lock the doors, and they'll swear we were passing out Kool-Aids. Don't, don't do that. 
<laughs> look, there's one thing you got to avoid in the church. Now, look, you, there's just some things you can't, can't avoid, but then there's some you can. And there's people in the world that are looking for a reason to call the church a cult or call them something else. <laughs> look. First opinion, one, two. That's what that one was. This one right here is probably the, the biggest point for me right here. This is point number three. We must become satisfied in Christ. This is probably one of the most pivotal points right here. We must get to a place where we are completely satisfied that if we don't get another blessing in our life, He is enough. We've got to reach a point where we say, God, I don't have all the nicest stuff as so-and-so over here. I might not have this over here, but I do have you. And that, that means everything to me. We have gotten to a place in society, in the church, that we are no longer satisfied with Christ. Why do you think we, look, why do you think we have so many false teachers in the church right now? Because the message of the cross wasn't good enough for them. So they go reaching and grabbing for all these things that aren't even in the Bible, that aren't even there, because they're truthfully not satisfied in Christ. They're satisfied in self-glorification. We have got to get back to being satisfied in Christ. A preacher that I love to listen to, his name is John Piper. He has a saying that he kind of got from Jonathan Edwards, and I believe it is the best saying that I've probably heard when it comes to the Christian walk, and it's simply God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God gets more glory out of people in the church when they say, I've got what I need. I'm satisfied with Him. You, you will never see a convert come from a depressed Christian, I guarantee you. Someone comes up and they're like, man, look, God's good, but golly, let me tell you. I got this going on. I got this going on. I got that. Look, I, I've had an atheist before tell me, why would I want to come to church when, I, when my cousin, who, it was his brother, he said, why would I want to come to church when I see how, how, what God did for him? What did God do for him? I don't want to come to church and get that. I can get that out of here. And at least I can go to the bar and drink that away. That's, this is somebody talking to me, telling me that. And you know what answer I had for him? Well, golly, I mean, I can't argue with that. I can from my perspective, but when you're basing it off of somebody else who don't really know Jesus Christ but is walking around like they do and they're depressed. and by, Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you won't go through some depressing times in your life. Believe me, I'm not saying you won't. But my Lord, there's got to be some joy in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, right? There's got to be some joy in the fact that Jesus Christ came and paid a price for us that we couldn't afford. And He knew it. Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 21. Are y'all okay this morning? All right, make sure everybody's still here. I want y'all. I started to make a joke. The reason why I don't stand down there is because I'm too afraid of y'all trying to get me and throw me off the edge of a cliff like they did Jesus. I get out of reach where no one can grab me. I got a door right here I can bolt through. To give you context here, this is the children of Israel. They've been brought into captivity time and time again because of their sin, because they just won't get right, no matter what. Who does that sound like? Me. And, and for those of you who don't want to say it, you. <laughs> it sounds like you and me. But they just wouldn't get right. And so they're in captivity, and they're crying out to God right here. And it's starting in verse 21. He says, <clears throat> this is after he's made all his complaints. This is after he sat there and he said, woe is me, I'm just a useless worm pretty much, I, I hate this, life is terrible. And then he goes on in verse 21, he says, this, 
I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. There's so much packed into that verse right there. Number one is this, that they're not relying on themselves. They're relying on Jesus Christ and His compassions. And I love the way they said we're not consumed, we're not cut off. Look, they were in a situation where they very well could just be snatched out and killed at any time. But they were sitting there saying, but Lord, you have us here for a reason. I'm here to tell you, if you've still got breath in your lungs, you have an opportunity today. Quit letting every day go by that you just let it pass and you don't take advantage of the day. The fact that you're not consumed right now, just like the children of Israel, shows that there is still hope over your life. So I'm saying it nicely, but I'm saying it as loving as possible. Please get up off that ground, dust off your knees, and come to the cross. Quit thinking God will not save you. God won't forgive you. He's already told you in His Word He will, and all you got to do is come and believe that He will do what He said He will do. And then after that, He says, The Lord is my portion. You know, I, I, it took me a while to understand what that meant. You know, there's, there's certain scriptures in your life you read, and you're like, man, I don't know what that means. And, and you wrestle with it for years. That was one of mine. Because I just didn't understand the portion part. I, I guess because in today's world we have slang terms. You know, I'm against mines. It ain't, it ain't portion anymore. But I read that, and I finally did some research, and it was the, the, the analogy that was brought forth was so good. It was as if a kid was going through a lunch line, and everyone is giving them their portion of food to eat. And it comes up to him, and he looks and says, No, I've got my portion. Jesus Christ, I've got my portion. He's all that I need. He's all that I want. I don't need the blessings of a new car. I don't need the blessings of riches. I don't need, sometimes in my life, I don't even need the blessings of joy. As long as I know that I have Jesus Christ, He is my portion. Church, we have got to get to a place where we are satisfied with Jesus Christ. And you might say, why? Why, why can I be satisfied with Jesus Christ? You want to? Y'all know whenever she comes up, we're, we're tying it in. You might be at a point where you say, why, why should I be satisfied in Jesus Christ? Let's do this. If everybody's got their Bibles, go with me to Galatians, the book of Galatians. there's ever a reason under the sun for us to be to let God have our affections and to have our time is simply for the fact that he gave his son to die on the cross for us and I'm going to say it again this, we're not talking about a small God please understand me we're not talking about a small God what you can put in your pocket we're talking about the very God who put the dirt on the ground this morning we're talking about the very God that a tree cannot sprout out of the ground unless He allows it. I heard a preacher say it like this, that there is not one bird in the forest reach of the Amazon forest that falls without Him first seeing it. 
We are talking about the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and the earth. The Creator of all things, even those things that are bad. He, the devil, has a Creator this morning, church. We are talking about the one who started it all from start, and He is the one who will finish it all. We're talking about God Almighty. We're not talking about your neighbor next door. We're not talking about your friend from work. We're talking about the one who formed you in your mother's womb for some reason beyond myself because I've done enough to where he should have rejected me long ago. But for whatever reason, he looked down and he said, I love him. Some of you need to say that to yourself this morning, that God loves me. Paul said it. When Paul talked about Jesus Christ saving me, he said, Him who loved me and saw fit that I should become an apostle. And I read that and I said, oh my God, Paul, Paul's admitting, he's like accepting it. Then if you read the book of John, the writer of the book of John, what's he say when Jesus lays his head back on? He said, Jesus laid his head on who? The disciple that Jesus loved. Woo! Somebody might call that arrogance, but I call that confidence in a creator right there. To say the disciple who he loved. Well, who was that? Me. Me, the writer. That's a little arrogant. Call it what you will. But let me tell you something. That man right there came and he died on the cross for my sins. And he became a curse so that I wouldn't be cursed. Because here's the thing. With God being God Almighty, here's the breakdown right here. God is so infinitely wise, so infinitely perfect that He demands perfection. You've heard me tell you this and I'm going to tell it to you until I'm blue in the face. He demands perfection. And everybody wants to always say, well, that's not the kind of God I want to serve. But let me tell you the rest of the story before you make your assumption. Yes, He demands perfection completely. And He will not, He will not waver on that. So what's He do? He sends His Son. The Word says in John 1, the Word became flesh He sends His Son to come down and keep the law completely and totally perfect. He sends His Son and says, you're going to walk the walk they can't. You're going to talk the talk they can't. And you're going to pay the price they deserve. Jesus Christ came and He walked and lived a perfect life that I could not even imagine doing. Because I'm going to walk right out these doors and I'm going to have to ask for forgiveness within probably five seconds. And not only did He walk the walk, He finished the work. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Because see, at that time we were under the law, right? At that time before Christ, there's a law. You say, what's the law? The law is this. The law is you must be perfect. Do not steal. Do not kill. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. It is a law. The Ten Commandments, all of the law is summed up in the Ten Commandments. And we can't keep all of them. You might think you've kept nine of them, but guess what? There's that one you probably hadn't kept. In fact, I'll say you haven't kept. And guess what? You're still just as guilty. We're still guilty. 
If a guy in front of me, if I go stand for a judge and he's only stole two things and I stole one and this one stole ten, guess who's guilty? All of us. We all stole. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Don't you see, church, what we so rightly deserved? A man named Jesus, fully God, fully man, came down and died on a cross and took on the wrath of God. Let's get that straight here, okay? It was not just a mere beating. He took the anger of God towards sin on himself. while we're sitting here, because this is church, right? We're here to study the Bible, right? If you got your Bibles, go with me to Psalms 22. We're going to get the Word in today, huh? See, everybody knows Psalms 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm going to start in verse 1. See, David wrote this psalm, obviously. I don't know if he realized he was writing a prophecy when he wrote this. But this is the mind of Jesus Christ while he's hanging on the cross. Remember this. Because we must realize that even though he was God, he was still man. And this was no easy task. This was not something that all of a sudden he just walked in, didn't he took a morphine before he took the beating and couldn't feel a thing. It is not like that, church. He felt every lash. He felt every whip, every spit, every thorn, everything that hit him. He felt it to its fullest degree. We must understand this. Psalms 22 verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out in the daytime, but you do not hear and in the night season and am silent. This is a man who's feeling rejected by God because we know what, what happens, that God has to literally turn his back on the amount of sin that Jesus Christ was taking. He's so holy, he was not going to look on that sin. And in that moment, you see the man side of Christ come out that says, my God, can, can you imagine? Can you imagine for those of you here who have the Holy Spirit living inside of you where you know you can feel his presence and all of a sudden that's ripped from you in a moment? And he's hanging on a cross saying, my God. It, it was panic mode is what it was. Why have you forsaken me? Why? Where are you? Verse 6. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shout. They shut, shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let Him rescue Him. Let Him deliver Him since He delights in Him. They're saying, Oh, He trusted in God. Let God save Him. Let God be His Savior since He trusted in Him so much. You remember when He was on the cross and they said, Come on down from that cross since you're Jesus the Christ. Since you since you're the faithful God, can't you come on down off that cross since you're so big and bad? Most of us can't put up with ridicule on Facebook. 
Most of us get mad if we don't get enough likes and comments or somebody. We don't have people on our Snapchat. And here's a man who's hanging on a cross for the people he loves. He is sitting there being beaten by the people he loves. And he had the nerve. Jesus had the nerve to look up and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. What kind of love is this? Verse 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's hurt and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. There's another scripture in there that says that his ribs, he can count all of his ribs. You say, Tyler, what what was the purpose of talking about that? Because that man, Jesus, that took all that for me, took that very same for you. He didn't leave you out on that deal. Church, we have got to get back to God. We've got to get back to giving Him our time. We've got to get back to giving Him our affections. And we've got to get back to truthfully being in love with Him. Being satisfied with who He is. Because it astounds me every day that I wake up and I realize He loves me. Even after I blow up on my wife. Even after I sling stuff across the house or punch a wall. Yeah, that's reality. Some some of y'all are like, man, I'm sanctified past that point. Pray for me, please. That He would die for me. It's like I want to keep going, but I'm trying to think, Lord, when do you want me to shut up? It just blows my mind to think about it, that, that that the God who literally knows and sees it all, for whatever reason, has taken a liking to me, a finite man, that has nothing to bring to the table. I bring nothing to the table. Somebody, people say all the time, well, Tyler, you're a good speaker. That don't mean nothing. If God's not in it, then you're just yelling. You're just talking in a bucket. You're not doing a thing. Same thing with singing. We can tell people all day long, look, Adele is a good singer. But she ain't of God. She ain't on God's side. So it ain't doing nothing. I'm just being real. Johnny Cash was a great singer. And he might be saved, but Lord, you saw his life was hell. Last scripture, Hebrews chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 5. We must be satisfied in Him. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. He's telling you, be content with what you got. You got enough. And then He follows up with here. Here's the ultimate. You have enough. For He Himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you.
can I tell you something, church? That means never. That means even when I make a mistake, he's not leaving me. Even when I fail him for the hundredth time this week, he's not going to leave me. Now, granted, I have to say this every time. There is a difference between effort and none, okay? We're not going to sit here and throw ourselves on the ground and say, Oh, Lord, I sin with the intention to get right back up and do that same thing again. What did Romans say? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. A truly converted heart will learn to hate sin and not want to go back to it because they see it for what it is. It causes separation between us and God. And if you've had God in your life, it's not worth it. How many of you, y'all go ahead and show me your hands. How many of y'all have ever walked away from God? Can anybody testify that it was a good time? <laughs> I didn't think so. I didn't think so. And now you come back and you're going, boy, this is, it's way better over here. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. No matter what's going on in, in Ukraine, no matter what's going on in Russia, no matter who the president is, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Even unto death. Even unto death. Even if I should have to die for my faith one day, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Tyler, what do you mean? He lets you die, but he's on the other side. He's waiting. And church, we got to get there. We have got to realize that this world is not our home. And one day, one day, put it down, we will all stand before Him. We're all going to stand before Him. That's a fact. If you would stand with me this morning.